Good morning, friends. Good morning. Good morning. How are we doing? I'm good, Lou. How are you? Very good. Sorry, I thought uh, we got cut off over there. So good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us. I'm glad you could. Uh, today we start on a new chapter, and that is uh, chapter five, which is the yoga of um, renunciation of um, action, renunciation in action, sorry. So what that yoga means uh, being united with yourself, your Atman, mm -hmm. that is like the wave in an ocean, becoming one with the ocean again. Um, you and I, all of us, are basically the Atman who thinks, or we think, that we are the body, mind, and the intellect. And it is our duty to get back to becoming the Atman again. Somebody had said, basically, that um, initially the Atman, the life force, Brahman, energy is sort of floating around if you could visualize that yeah bored with all this power like an atom many atoms like an atom bomb you know just floating around can do all these things but basically has no fun at all <laughs> and uh the energy this life force uh, the atman brahman says you know what i want to experience things i want to experience what it feels like so the atman essentially came into being as a microorganism and then went through all the different uh, episodes. And this is written in the Shastras, in the scriptures, as how Atman went through, just as Darwin thought of, you know, uh, all of these different organisms. Yeah, evolution, ultimately, right? Yeah. Sorry? Evolution, right? Evolution, exactly. So that's what the scripture says until uh, the Atman, Brahman became a body, mind, and intellect. And the reason for that is Atman says, let me, you know, see what it feels like. But now that the Atman has become that, says, now we want to get back to becoming the Atman again, but it's so wrapped up in being the body, mind, and intellect, um, it's hard to get back. To being this so um, uh, there is a child's story written somewhere and i don't know the exact uh, title or the name of the author uh, but it's a good one it's for children basically saying you know imagine god saying i want to play hide and seek mm -hmm. and but god is all alone and god says who do i play hide and seek with he says you know what i can just make myself uh, uh, into a, a person and play hide and seek and then he plays such good hide-and-seek because God, whatever he does, um, <laughs> it does it well. And yep. so he becomes the other person, which is us, and then he forgets. He hides so well, he doesn't know how to get back to himself. So this whole chapter of yoga uh, is, all of these chapters of yoga is how to get reunited with ourselves. So we are our body, our minds, and our intellect. We think of ourselves as that. Right. And whether we like it or not, just like the evolution, Lou, that you said, we, whether we like it or not, we keep evolving, and we become this human being. And through many, many lives, as we come, go, proceed, no matter how bad a person is, no matter how many vasanas, how many desires he has, ultimately he is going to evolve into a self-realized being because that's the purpose of our life. So we are, whether we like it or not, we're gradually evolving towards that self-realization. Now, in just to recap the last four chapters that we did, 
if you remember the mahabharat talks about the war between the kshatriyas uh, sorry the pandavas and the kauravas the pandavas are five brothers of which arjuna is one and the kshatri the kauravas uh, are very bad cousins of theirs who have usurped the kingdom and no matter how much krishna and arjuna and all the brothers pandavas try to negotiate with them and try to deal with them they're just being very ruthless very unfair to the population and running a realm of terror right. and so arjuna as a uh, warrior it is his duty to fight them and he goes he's prepared 13 years for this battle and then he goes on to the battlefield as a warrior just like any soldier commando a marine you know but goes on to the field and then says but these are all my relatives my cousins i can't kill them and so he collapses on the battlefield something he's never done in his whole life before because he's such a great warrior and arjuna turns to krishna and says what should i do and of course this is symbolic we've gone through this before but very quickly um he's because he's a warrior he turns to um, Krishna and says, you know, what should I do? And Krishna in chapter 2 basically tells him that we are, all of us are Atman, we are Brahman. And in chapter 2, he describes a sthita pragna, which we went through before already, mm -hmm. as to what exactly is a self-realized uh, being. And he describes that. In chapter 3 he and chapter 4, he says how we can become uh, ourselves become a self-realized person. In chapter 3, Arjuna says, if that is the case, if I have to ultimately become knowledgeable in my own self and become gain this knowledge that all of us are now getting of the various scriptures that will take us towards self-realization, then why are you telling me to fight? Hmm. Can't I just drop my weapons here and just study with you and gain this knowledge? And I don't want to do this thing. And this will come up again yeah. in chapter 5, as we are going to do. Um, Krishna explains in chapter two, chapter 3 why action is necessary, and that is called karma yoga. The uh, and, and we'll talk about this again today. In chapter 4, Krishna says various ways in which to get out the various things that obstruct you from going forward. So he talks about, if you remember, yagnas, various yagnas, uh, dan, which is donations and charity, mm -hmm. uh, getting rid of the stains. As, as the analogy that we spoke about is that you have a uh, a stainless steel pot or a glass pot and there's a stain inside it normally you can just take the thing put it under running water and it becomes clean but sometimes there are stains that you need to scrub to get out right right so here there are these stains within us so for uh, those stains are for lust or greed or anger um, arrogance and those have to be used to get out by some special techniques and in chapter 4 he talks about different yagnas to get rid of these stains again the analogy that we spoke about is that our, the brahman is like the ocean at each one of us is a wave we think of ourselves as the wave but really we're all each wave is just ocean water just like the uh, ocean and we need to get back to the brahman in chapter five now he talks further about how to still the mind 
so that we can meditate. And in the last, second last verse and the third last verse, he talks to us about how we can get to the point of meditation and tells us some techniques about meditation. Now, this is the first time Krishna or the Gita really starts talking about how to meditate. It's an exciting thing for you to uh, uh, look forward to. Yeah. So in verse 1 to 7, he describes the different uh, stages of a person as they get towards self-realization. First is bogi or those of us who just basically just indulge and live life for to its fullest. Second is yogi, and a yogi is not the guy who plays baseball, okay? <laughs> uh, yogi is uh, a person who does yoga, which is to unite with the self, not in a studio with the physical yoga, but what is first a yogi, then a sannyasi, somebody who renounces um, uh, his I-ness in his actions. He still does actions, but renounces the I-ness and the right. selfishness in his actions. And the third is a nyani, who's a person who's very knowledgeable. We'll talk about the different characteristics of a, a knowledgeable or a wise person. That's verse 1 to 7 that we're going to do today. Yep. And then eight, verse 8 to 12 is how these different stages, yogi, sannyasi, and nyani, relate to action. They all act. But how do they react to when they act? Verses 13 to 19 are the state of the supreme being. What is that like? Similar to a sthita pragna. And lastly, verse 20 to 29 is renunciation first of your I-ness, of your me, the aham, uh, and then meditation to realize the self. Okay? Right. So you notice that this is only 29 verses, which is one of the smallest um, uh, chapters in the Gita. So we've completed these ch chapters, and one thing we need to know is that each one of us, as we are the Atman, we uh, look different. Each one of us, the body looks different, the mind works differently, the intellect works differently, mm -hmm. but we're all basically the same. And the purpose of this whole um, text, the Gita, is for us to recognize that we are the self and for us to get past that. Now, Arjuna is a Kshatriya. He's a warrior. Mm -hmm. And he, his whole life, his parents' life, his grandparents' life, the whole family was just all fighters. And he says, I need action. I need to do action, but I don't want to do it in this fashion. So please. And he's also somebody who's been directed as a warrior. He says, what should I do? You should do this exercise. You should learn how to wield a sword. You should learn how to shoot bows, uh, arrows, and tell me what I should do. And Krishna says, first thing you have to do in chapter three, he says, you have to do action. You have to act. And he says, but in chapter four, you talk about knowledge, gaining knowledge. Why can't I just go to chapter four? Right. And this in in this verse, he's going to talk about, uh, you know, that both paths lead to the same end result. It's like catching a bus at the beginning of the journey or waiting two stops and catching it further that first you must do action before you can gain the knowledge all right so let's talk about the different yogis sannyasis etc so a yogi is a person who is starting his journey with vasanas desires just like you and i 
using karma yoga, which is the yoga of action, he sheds his vasanas. And that is what we learned about in chapter three, that as a karma yogi, you basically have to do your actions. You cannot not do your actions. People think that by just sitting down and doing nothing, they're doing, you know, getting rid of their desires. You're not. You're just suppressing your needs. You're just pushing them down. But if you must act. And in the process of acting, those actions, if you remember, we've talked about this, those actions have to be selfless and it has to be a sacrifice. So it has to be something that you're doing for somebody else without any need for saying, I did this, my name is this, I want fame, I want money, I want a reward, uh, and not to look for that. So as the yogi does that, as he continues to do these uh, selfless actions as sacrifice, he becomes dispassionate. He becomes uh, getting rid of his uh, desires and his vasana start to lessen. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, he detaches himself from all worldly entanglements and directs all his activities towards purification of his self. Not the self with a capital S, the Atman, but his small self. He just starts purifying himself of all these desires. Then he becomes a sannyasi. A sannyasi follows the path of knowledge until he gets to this jnana yoga, which is the knowledge, and he dedicates his actions to Brahman. He practices contemplation and meditation. There's no attachment, therefore no sin. Now, if you remember what we said about sin is that forget about everything you've known about sin before this. Sin is basically a um, bouncing back on you of your own thoughts and your guilt and your conscience that says you did something that you feel bad about, guilty about, and your conscience is disturbing you. So it bounces back on yourself and your thoughts become agitated. That's sin. But the sannyasi has no attachment. So therefore, there's no sin. There's no vasanas. And he's described in the Gita as a lotus leaf. That means the lotus leaf sits in mucky, dirty water, but water splashes on the lotus leaf and it just goes right off as if it's got wax all over it, which it does. And even though it's in this water, not a drop of water sticks to it, it just rolls off. Similarly, a sannyasi is in this world with actions all around him, desires, all kinds of sense objects, but they all just wash right off of him. And if he keeps doing this, he becomes a jnani, somebody who's a knowledgeable person, a wise person, an enlightened soul. And he realizes that the soul, the Atman, soul is the wrong word to use. I should have said Atman because there's a difference. The Atman does not act at all. And this is an important thing that we will talk about, that the Atman does not act. The example that Swami Parthasarthi gave, which is a very good one, he says the Atman is like petrol or gas in a car, that the Atman just gives energy to the car, petrol just gives energy to the car to drive. 
how fast the car goes depends on what kind of a body the car has, what kind of an engine it has. Right. How the car is driven, which direction it goes, depends on the mind and the intellect of the person driving it. Whether it gets into an accident, whether it's used for bad purposes, good purposes, has nothing to do with the petrol or the gas in the car. That is all having to do with the model of the car, the engine. Uh, based on previous lives and karmas, you get either a good body, or powerful, strong, or a weak body. Your mind is either clean and pure, or it's not. And whatever actions you take are based on your desires to take those actions. It has nothing to do with the Atman. So the jnani, the soul doesn't, the Atman doesn't act at all. The jnani is a silent witness to everything while his senses contact the sense objects. Now, a wise person, a self-realized person, Buddha, Jesus Christ, all of these various self-realized people that they still have sense organs and they still contact sense objects, but they don't get affected. The right. Atman doesn't get affected by this at all. The desires are all there within these people. But while acting, they don't allow those desires to come forth. So your mind, mind of a wise person becomes more and more um, detached from all of this. And as when one becomes a self-realized person, there's no attachment at all. So the wise understand how ephemeral the pleasures are of the sense objects and the sense organs. So they prevent any desire from developing into an uncontrollable desire. Instead of indulging in such temporary uh, bouts of sensual pleasure, they divert their attention and interest to the self within. Gradually, these self-realized people free themselves from their desires, they subdue their minds and turn inwards. When a mind is subdued and peaceful, it becomes fit for meditation. And the last three verses of this chapter give details for practicing the meditation. Now, remember, in order to do this in chapter four and this chapter five, the, uh, Krishna talks about renunciation in action, not renunciation of action. So he says you must act. You can't renounce action itself. Right. You must act, but it's in action. What do you renounce? You renounce your ego. You renounce that and you say, I didn't do it. I meaning I, the Atman, didn't do it. And I want no pleasure, no fame, no nothing for anything that I did. When you enter that state of sannyasi, you, you give up your likes and dislikes. Before that, you have these dwandwas. We mentioned raga, dvesha, the dwandwas, likes and dislikes. Right. Everything in this world is full of likes and dislikes. And even a sannyasi, even a jnani, does have likes and dislikes. Don't get me wrong. Even a wise person, <laughs> Jesus, Buddha, all had likes and dislikes. The difference was that they didn't allow those likes and dislikes to control their attitude, their actions, etc. Or if you know you offered them something that they 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 liked as food, I can't tell you that they say, "Oh, I don't." Doesn't matter to me what I eat. It does. They like it, but they don't linger. Remember, we talked yes. about lingering. Yeah. If you eat something, you enjoy something, your sense objects. 
if you keep thinking about it, it's going to make it worse. The desire for that is going to get worse. Whereas a self-realized person eats it, takes, imbibes it, enjoys the sense object, and then pushes it out of his mind so it doesn't linger inside him. So when you have likes and dislikes, you go into bondage. And we are going to be talking about bondage in a minute. Everything in life has opposites, likes and dislikes, profit, loss, uh, winter, summer, hot, cold, um, nice, nasty. Somebody's nice to me, somebody's nasty to me. Each one of these, as you dwell on it, you become more entangled in dislikes and dislikes. Whereas a self-realized, self-realized person has no likes or dislikes that he indulges in. So bogey, you remember we said 99.999% of us are bogeys, which are we indulge in uh, just enjoying ourselves. We just say, okay, fine, whatever it is, I just keep imbibing. Uh, taking in and entertaining ourselves and enjoying it. Right. Uh, acquisition and enjoyment. We're just interested in the world around us. What can I acquire? What can I enjoy? At some point, we each get to the point, like I did, like hopefully you are at the point where you say, you know what, there's more to this than just enjoyment. I, how much can I enjoy? I want to learn how things function. Uh, why am I doing this? And this is why you, my friend, are listening to this. Otherwise, you wouldn't. There's a part of you that is on the path to becoming a yogi and then a sannyasi. So a yogi does karma yoga, which is action, acting in the service of a higher ideal without anything for the self and you're doing it with some sacrifice is what a yogi does. And how did they, there are three kinds of actions. One is karma yoga, which is action with your body. Mm -hmm. And then comes bhakti yoga, which is devotion. You devote yourself to singing hymns, praising, prayer, etc., and the third is jnana yoga, which is knowledge, as we're getting now. What we're doing today, this is all jnana yoga. Mm -hmm. If you go and you pray and you sit in a temple or a church or a mosque or a synagogue, then you're doing bhakti yoga. You're, you're, and then if you're going outside doing social service, working in a food kitchen, that is karma yoga. As you do this, your thoughts get fixed on the higher. We've gone through all of this before, just a quick reminder. And your lower desires fall off. When the bulk of your desires fall off, you become a sannyasi. And all action is purely at that point, until that point, to fulfill your desire to become at a higher level. Right. A sannyasi has very few desires. He's dispassionate towards the world. Therefore, his mind is available for contemplation. And then he goes towards meditation. Not before that, because before that, if you try to meditate, you, you can't do it. You, you close your eyes, you think of something, and your mind is in a different place all every second, every microsecond, you're thinking about something different. Um, as a yogi, as you're doing this karma yoga, in the beginning, you just acquire information. That information then becomes knowledge. For that, you have to develop gratitude. Without an attitude of gratitude, none of this will work. You have to be able to and wanting to give it back. You've gotten so much from the time you're born or even conceived 
for free. Yep. The oxygen that you breathe, the beautiful sights around you, the vegetables, all of this that you eat, the, the family, the, the sights that you see, everything is just provided for you. And now that you've gotten to the point where as your desires drop off, you have to be gra grateful for this and for your teachers and the people who uh, enabled you to get to the point where you are so that you can give some of this back. Um, you use that gratitude to pay back with unselfish action in the world. And in verse 12, which we will do next time, uh, he talks, Krishna talks about a yukta and an ayukta. And having abandoned the fruit of action, he says a yukta, who is a yogi, um, gains eternal peace. Now, the word bondage comes up all the time. Now, bondage we think of as being tied down, you know, you're being bound to a chair or like yeah. a prisoner. But that's basically what bondage is. We are being bound because of our desires. A bogi or an ayukta, not ayukta, a yukta, suffers from bondage of desires. He is impelled by desires and desires for something in the future. So what happens is his current happiness, which is not there, right. is dependent upon the acquisition or enjoyment of something, an event or a happening in the future. So you can't be happy now. You're hoping that you're going to get something in the future. So your whole desire and your action is fixated on that. You're nervous right now because you're saying, I hope I get it. Right. You're not happy right now because you're saying, I'll be happy when I get it. And you're bound to that. Now, if you get it, you're unhappy because now you're afraid that you're going to lose this, whatever you got, or you get it and you're afraid that you want it again. Right. So you're unhappy because of that, or you don't get it and you're unhappy because of that. So it's a lose, 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 lose situation all around. So keep that in mind. That is what bondage is. And what the Gita is trying to teach us is if you give up this I-ness, if you become more sacrificial and you start to sacrifice your desires, don't think of I all the time. You become a yukta, you become a yogi, and you start to do things for others, and you get much more happiness at the current time without waiting for the future. So that's uh, bondage. A yogi has no attachment to the results of his actions. There's no anxiety for the fruit of the action. He just does what he ought to do. Now, sorry, all of this was basically sort of like an introduction, but now we'll be able to cover the first seven verses very quickly. Um, so in the first verse of chapter 5, Arjuna asks, Oh Krishna, you praise the renunciation of action to gain knowledge. Yet, you praise karma yoga, which is action. Tell me decisively, once and for all, tell me for sure, which of the two is better. So we went through this. He's a kshatriya. He's a soldier. He says, I don't want this all philosophy. Just tell me what to do. Yeah. And why are you telling me to act and kill all these people when, I can, when you're telling me that uh, knowledge is far superior? So... He's asking, and this was something he had asked in chapter 2 uh, also and chapter 3. Right. So Krishna has said knowledge is better than action, and he says, then why am I doing all of this? Krishna now explains how spiritual development takes place. 
And in the fourth chapter, he said, all karmas merge into knowledge. Um, and you have to burn your actions through knowledge. Uh, and at the same time, Krishna had said, karma yoga was essential. So all of us, we, we can't go through this knowledge unless you're at the same time doing actions that are meant to help others through your body or through your mind giving i remember we talked about saying give sympathy give help to somebody else love to somebody else or teach with your knowledge somebody else so you have to do either with your intellect your mind or your body or all three in order to do that so uh, self-realization is not a mental exercise it requires it, it requires action that's right that's exactly what krishna's point is to arjuna that you can't just gain knowledge you've got to act Whatever your duty is, in, in Arjuna's case, he's a soldier, you got to act. Yep. You, you, you can't just shirk your responsibility. None of us can shirk our responsibility. If you're a doctor and you've got to do your duty, uh, you're a soldier, you got to do your duty, you're a teacher, you have to teach, etc. So verse 2, Krishna says, both knowledge and renunciation of action and karma yoga lead to self-realization. But of the two, the yoga of action, karma yoga, is superior to renunciation of action. So he's saying that he's saying that both are the same. It's like catching a train at the beginning, at the terminal, or further down. You will they will both lead to self-realization. Right. But what he's implying here is that for you, my friend, Krishna says to Arjuna, for you, my friend, since you're a warrior, action is superior to knowledge. Now, each one of us has a different personality, a different nature. You remember we talked about gunas. Right. Yep. Some of us are very sattvic. We prefer jnana yoga, and we still have to do bhakti yoga and karma yoga. But our bulk of our yoga would have to be the study and the knowledge and the scriptures as we're doing now. But if you're more physical, you're going to be sitting there listening to this and you're going to be falling asleep. For you, it's better that you act. For somebody who says, listen, I'm a very devotional person. I want to sing hymns. I want to sing praises of God. For you, bhakti is much more of a, a, a important yoga for you to reach the um, higher levels. Uh, so so in, positive, action, positive action is more important than avoiding negative action. Definitely. Yeah. Avo avoiding a negative action is one thing. You have to do positive action, but that positive action has to be of such a quality that it is not for a fruit, not for a result for yourself. Nothing for acquisition, nothing for enjoyment, but for sacrifice for others. Selfless action is better than avoiding uh, egotistic or selfish action. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Correct. Yep. So, sannyasa is a res renunciation of action, and action itself both lead to self-realization. Krishna declares action to be superior to renunciation of action for Krishna. A person in the initial stages is a yogi, who he must do karma yoga to drop his desires and enter into the state of renunciation. Renunciation is a state of selfless action towards the world after doing the right action. Now, both action and renunciation will lead you to the same end goal. Um, 
Both are good. Which one is better for you? In that, he talks about renouncing the kama, krodha, lobha, moha, and matsira, which is lust, desire. These are the gateways to hell. We talked about the three gateways. Lust or desire was the first. Anger is the second, which when your desire is blocked, you get angry. Mm -hmm. And the third is greed of any kind. Greed of money, greed of power, greed of fame, greed of more enjoyment, uh, attachment to anything, and arrogance. Each one of these essentially leads to uh, hell. And he says, you've got to get rid of these uh, things. Now, verse 3 Know him to be an ascetic, a sannyasi, who neither hates nor desires because he is free of the pairs of opposites, so he easily is set free from bondage. Remember we talked about bondage before, yes. where the desires keep uh, spinning round and round and you keep doing the same thing. And he's saying the word easily. He says if you get rid of these pairs of opposites, and I'm telling you from personal experience, it can be done. Not that you get rid of it completely. Right. You know, we have to strive. But when you recognize that your mind, which is full of desires and wishes, starts to lean towards something saying, I like this. I don't like this. If you can pull yourself back from that to say, no, I, I've got to take it as it comes. Profit or loss. Right. Winter or summer. Don't say, I like this, I hate this, I don't like this. If you can start to control that, pull yourself back like the tur turtle with its limbs. If you can start pulling your sense organs and your mind back from those likes and dislikes, it makes a huge difference. I can tell you from personal experience. And I'm nowhere near being a sannyasi, <laughs> I can tell you that. Um, so a sannyasi, an ascetic, finds himself with almost no desires. His desires are only to become self-realized. As he has fewer desires, he has very few likes or dislikes. Dwandwas no longer trouble him. His pairs of opposites, he has perfect control over his likes and dislikes. Again, I say that doesn't mean that he doesn't have likes or dislikes. He definitely has them, but he has perfect control over them. He doesn't allow himself to linger on them. He allows himself to enjoy it. Right. He goes, if he goes like in, in the older days, he'd just go from home to home asking for food. Whatever he got, he eats and says, I'm eating this, God, for you, just so that I can function in the service of humanity or you. Right. He may not like what he ate, but he will eat it and say it's for God. But one day he gets something that he really likes. He will eat it. Mm -hmm, this is good. Bless you, my dear, for whoever gave it to him. Right. He enjoys it, but he pushes it out of his mind. So a sannyasi does have likes and desires. And like a child attached to his toys who grows out of it as he becomes an adult, no longer is attached to his toys, the adult has attachment to his passions, to lust, to wealth, to family, to status, person. And then when you get to be an old person, then you have attachments to your family, you have anxieties, you have worries, and yep. you're bound. Similarly, this sannyasi has these, but has pushed them out of his mind. He's not worried about these things anymore and no longer has likes and dislikes to that. Sorry, I thought this was going to be a short <laughs> episode, Lou. Um, anyway, verse 4, Krishna says, Children 
speak of knowledge, sankhya, and action, uh, karma, as being different from each other. The wise know they are not different. If a person is established in either one, he obtains the benefit of both. So we said that already. You yep. do karma or you do uh, renunciation of action, it's still Sankhya means knowledge, wisdom associated with sannyas. Both lead you to becoming a jnani and towards self-realization. Sorry, I'm making mistakes because I'm rushing to try and get this to our usual of <laughs> no short. Yeah. So uh, Krishna says the ultimate destination is reached by karma as well as knowledge. He who sees them both as one is the one who sees. The state that is reached by the sannyasi through knowledge is also reached by the yogi through karma. He who sees sankhya and yoga as one, he sees. In Sanskrit, it says, yahapashyati sahapashyati. That is, he who sees, he sees. Yeah. And he recognizes that there must be humility in you. You can't get to this point without gratitude, without humility. There must be surrender. Surrender to a higher ideal. Surrender to your teacher. Surrender to your guru. Surrender to these scriptures that have, are teaching all this. There must be devotion. Right. Um, you need an emotion towards Brahman. You need that devotion. It's an essential part of spiritual practice. You cannot just do social work or charity or dan or jnana and not do that. You can't get there without devotion. So verse 6, but renunciation is hard to get without karma yoga. A sage who is well established in karma yoga attains Brahman before long. So here again, he's telling us, he doesn't quantify it in terms of months or years right. or lifetimes. He just says before long. Now, of course, that's encouraging to people say, okay, just maybe means another hundred lifetimes. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows how long it means? Yeah. But he says before long. Um, because to directly drop everything and give up action and desires is very difficult. You can't just drop it. You can sit quietly right. and say, okay, I'm not doing anything. But you're just suppressing your actions. You're, you're constantly, your mind is already moving, wanting to say, when can I get up from here? The mind cannot give up its ambitions or desires and prevent it from going outwards, but instead focus on the inside of oneself. It doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, intense desire prevents us from concentration. Therefore, even for a few minutes, we need a distraction instead of focusing on one uh, point for a long time. To become a sannyasi requires us giving up our ahankar. Now, aham means me. Mm -hmm. Ahankar means I did it. I heard it. I saw it. I, I, I. And to get to be a sannyasi, you've got to give up that I. That I is talking about the small I, the me, yep. the one that identifies with the body, mind, and intellect, not the bigger I, the self with a capital S. Um, so this possessiveness and this ahankar, this I-ness has to be given up. Um, it's like saying in this verse, he's saying you can't get to a university unless you go through school. You can say, well, why can't I just go to university if ultimately that's the goal? You can't. Renunciation is an effect. It's not a cause. You cannot directly practice renunciation. You, it happens as you go through this discipline. As you get more disciplined, you renounce your ego as um, 
happens. Now, detachment comes automatically. You cannot force it. Just do whatever it is that you're doing, whether you're a doctor, you're a nurse, you're a teacher. Do whatever you're doing it, but do it in a different spirit with yep. a higher ideal and a spirit of service and sacrifice. That's key to everything. Last verse, Lou. Um, verse 7. A person who does karma yoga has purified himself, subdued his sense organs. He sees his self as the self in all beings. Now, he is talking about the higher self. He's right. talking about his Atman. He right. sees that in all beings. He, as the wave in the ocean, sees that every wave is just ocean water, just like he is. He is not bound even though he's acting. He automatically reaches inner peace and quietitude through karma yoga. By doing karma yoga, he gets the same benefits. The mind becomes pure. His mind is made up of thoughts. These are either sattvic thoughts or rajasic thoughts or tamasic thoughts. Mm -hmm. And the, you can tell them by the quality of the thoughts, the quantity of the thoughts, the directions in which the thoughts are going, and the speed with which they're going there. So let's start with tamasic thoughts. Tamasic thoughts are laziness, attachment, anger, sadness, depression, and ignorance. Mm -hmm. Rajasic thoughts are desires, ambition, craving, pride, anger, and jealousy. And sattvic thoughts are those of knowledge, wisdom, joy, peace, faith, kindness, forgiveness, friendship, those kind of things. When you do karma yoga, the mind becomes peaceful. Uh, Nani has control over his own body, his own senses, and knowledge subdues the senses. You can't subdue the senses by willpower alone for a long time. You can do it for a short period of time, but they will bounce right back. Right. The trick is to use first your willpower, pushing your sense organs down, your desires down for those sense organs to uh, fulfill their desires. And then with knowledge, it gets to be a lot easier. So the knowledge reaches him to the point where he recognizing that the self is the same self in all, yeah. that this ocean water is present in every wave. Um, and the first, you have to purify the little you, control your mind. Like Swami Vivekanan said, con conquer your mind, you conquer the world. The test is always to say, how do you feel about others? How do you feel towards others? You should feel towards others the same way as you feel towards your own loved ones, your spouse, your children, your best friend. You feel love, not hate towards everybody. You don't say... Uh, it's not like I love this one little less than I love that one. You love everybody and you hate nobody. Right. So, friends, sorry this went over <laughs> a little longer. What, 45 no, minutes? It's fascinating. Yeah, we're approaching 44. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, thank you so much for joining us. We will continue with uh, Chapter 5 next time, and I hope you join us then. Thank you. <laughs>